Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The season is designed to be listened to from episode one, so if you haven't heard it yet, we suggest you start at the beginning. Previously on the season. What we're trying to do here is no different than a company that's gone bankrupt and it's been bought by somebody and they're coming in there with a new management team. I mean, this is the first year where I feel like nobody's able to make any excuses and everybody has like the most to look forward to. Obviously, you never forget the feeling of winning and that's that's what we're trying to get back to here is winning. The president of Columbia University is a man named Lee Bollinger. He lives in a 1912 McKim, Mead, and White mansion that comes with the job. One morning last week, I went to see him and talk football. Beginning people would say, you know, why, why do we care if we win? I mean, we just play, and if we lose, that's fine. In fact, it's sort of a sign that we're too smart to win. Bollinger is the man who hired the coach who is now supposed to turn around the football team, Al Bagnoli. Actually, Bollinger hired the last four football coaches, so he has some experience with this. It will happen. Columbia football will be great again, within the framework in which we define great. We're not and what looking... Is, and what is that for you? Well, for me, I've, I put it very comfortably uh, this way. I've said what it means to be great in athletics is that, at a school like Columbia, is that you're competitive for an Ivy League championship once every five years. Have a shot at a championship every five years. Columbia hasn't won an Ivy League title since 1961. Hi, I'm Ilya Meritz, and this is The Season from WNYC. It's a maybe turnaround story told through college football, week by week, game by game. We don't know whether it ends with happy music or sad music. This episode, we'll look at what makes players keep playing when they're losing. And we'll pop a tape in the old VCR to explore a dark time in Lions history. But first, anticipation. After four weeks of training, the Columbia Lions are about to face their first opponent. It's the night before the game. Practice is done, the players are surrounding coach, and they're down on one knee, like each one is about to pop out an engagement ring. We can just hear it from across the field. Where is it written that you guys can't win? Where is it written that this thing can't turn around? Why not you? Why not today? Why not this season? There's no other way to say this. I have never seen Coach Bagnoli be so inspiring. And I immediately thought of something Coach told the players in a team meeting. You guys are good football players. I keep trying to tell you, you're good football players. Okay? It's strictly now between your ears. It's nothing more than that. It's nothing more than you guys trusting what you've been taught, trusting yourself that you can execute what you've been taught, okay? Trusting us that we taught you correctly, and then going out there and playing 100 miles an hour. Immediately following today's game, know that you are all welcome to join President Father Joseph McShane at a special mass in the University Church. And now it's here, game day, Fordham University in the Bronx, and everyone is totally hyped up. Not just for the football game, it's also homecoming, and the Pope is coming to town. 
Together, we pray for the success and safety of Pope Francis's visit to our country. Also, there's a giant tent where you can buy four beers for $10. My producer, Matt Collette. The whole thing feels like a giant party I wasn't invited to. So I find a guide who knows the scene. I don't know if I like being interviewed right now. Um, Matt, you interviewed your sister? (laughs) Sorry, Emily, but um, why? Yes, Emily isn't a huge football fan, but she's a Fordham alum, and she came up from Brooklyn to watch the game with her friends. As recently as 2010, her freshman year, Fordham did not have a very good football team. Yeah, I mean, they sucked. Columbia was the team that we knew we could beat, even when we sucked. And... Then we got a new coach, I think it was like my junior year, a couple years ago, and we started winning. And, you know, we got some more school spirit. So while Columbia is trying to rebuild, Fordham is about four years ahead with a real turnaround. They hired a new coach, this guy Joe Moorhead, in 2012. And the school started giving away football scholarships, something Columbia and the other Ivies don't do. Now Fordham is playing at a really competitive level. No one from Fordham thinks Columbia's even going to put up a fight. Here's senior Mike Krizko. I know that we've beaten them five years in a row, that they didn't win a game for the past two years, and that we're going to beat them today. It's almost one. The game is about to start. Incidentally, this is my first football game, the first I have ever attended in my life. And I'm out on the field trying to figure out how to record this thing. Can we, be, we can be on this side, right? I think like where the backpacks are? I think so. I really, yeah. I'm sure I'm, somebody's, like, somebody's just going to come yell at us in a minute. <laughs> it be nice to avoid that. And I had up into the stands to the Columbia section. It's sort of a blob of pale blue inside of a much bigger blob of maroon. And most of the people here, if you ask them, will be happy just to see the Lions play well, win or lose. I'm watching with this guy, Jake Novak, an alum, class of 92. He does a blog about the Lions. These guys are much bigger than Columbia's, even though Columbia's gotten a lot bigger in the offseason. It looks like a little bit of a weight mismatch, but we knew that coming in. Frankly, he knows what's happening way more than we do. He spends a lot of time just pointing out the minutiae of the game to the people around him. He's the guy that first spots the starting quarterback. Last week, it was between three men. Trevor McDonough, who's done the job, the transfer, Skylar Morningweg, and Anders Hill, the youngest. All right, it's uh, Morningweg coming out. Morningweg. So that's not a surprise. Skylar Morningweg, the junior who came to Columbia from the University of Florida. Al Bagnoli's new right-hand man jogs across the field. And the game begins. And Fordham quickly scores. And then Columbia scores. And then something surprising happens. In the second quarter, Coach Bagnoli swaps out Skylar Morningweg for Anders Hill, the sophomore from Colorado. And he does this again in the fourth quarter. So it's Morningweg Hill, Morningweg Hill, like he's testing them. In the third quarter, Fordham scores again. They're up 28-10. What happens next is dazzling. So the Rams kick the ball to the Lions. It arcs over the length of the field and is caught at the two-yard line by number five running back Alan Watson. Watson disappears into a knot of Fordham players and then reappears on the other side, trailed by three or four Fordham men. But one by one, they peel away. No one is going to catch Watson. 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. This is playing 100 miles an hour. And up in the stands, the Columbia fans are going wild. We later learned there hasn't been a kickoff return for a touchdown in a decade. 
So coming out of the third quarter, Fordham is up 28-24, to and it actually seems like, hell, Columbia has a chance. Like Coach says, why not today? I can't believe it. I mean, I can. I'm watching it, so I know it happened. But this could be a dream run. Yeah, if I wake up and we have yet to go to the game, I'm going to be a little disappointed. Drum major Ron Brown has never seen Columbia's team play this well before. He's checking old scores on his phone just to see how this game stacks up. Band members are getting texts from classmates and alums that are just like, how is this happening? If you called me and told me this score of this game, I'd be like, so how did we cheat? Like, are we in the, in the booth, like, just adding a point to our score every five minutes? We are running out of time, though. And then, in the fourth quarter, Fordham scores two touchdowns and a field goal. They're still playing 100 miles an hour. Columbia isn't. The souffle collapses. Final tally, Fordham 44, Columbia 24. And coach, he's not going to rationalize this. An exciting, competitive game is not good enough. I don't want our kids happy that, you know, they made this thing respectable. I, I don't think that's our goal. I don't think that's what we want the program to be at. You know, but I, I think, though, again, it's our job to, to get them to improve incrementally between week one and two, which should be a huge improvement for us because they understand now how fast you actually have to play during a varsity game. And uh, it was against a formidable opponent. This is more than just the first loss of the season. The Lions have now lost 22 straight games, which is a kind of milestone. It means they're halfway to an event that is singular in Columbia football history. People who know nothing else about the Lions know this fun or not-so-fun fact. That in the 1980s, the Lions went 44 straight games without a single win. People called it the streak. So many people we've talked to have been like, have you heard about the streak? It's this thing that explains everything that's wrong with the Lions. And even though it ended before anybody on the team was even born yet, it still shapes everything. So when Al Bagnoli says, where was it written that you guys can't win? It's the streak that makes people think that. All right, Matt, I have something right here that is so incredibly exciting. VHS. The VHS. I haven't seen one of these in years. The Columbia story, the streak ends, exclamation mark, Columbia University football. Matt, please pop this in. Columbia's rebuilding program has seemed like forever. The world-famous losing streak started in 1983. But before that, Columbia had not won more than a single game in a season since 1978. It seemed the hope of each new year fell flat as the golden promise of autumn fluttered into the cold, hard reality of another windless winter. This movie is magical. It's pretty amazing. I can't condone people who mock us because we're losing. and It's, it's not a joke. It's, it's a real problem that we have to get winning. We want to win just as bad as the University of Oklahoma, the University of Notre Dame. We work as hard as they do. Winning is just as important to us as it is to them. Number 65, Matt Sodal, wanted only to win. While Columbia's um, how many interviews would you say you did about the streak during the streak? Hundreds. Literally hundreds? Yeah, uh, hundreds. Defensive tackle Matt Sodal is now a father of three living in Southern California. So every week I would be telling these reporters, listen, this is the week. We've got a game plan. We're going to do this. And sure enough, we lose. 
Uh, and some of the losses were bad ones, like 55 to 6 or something of that type. And, you know, it, it just became a weekly exercise where, okay, Sotal, are you, is this week going to be the week? And uh, uh, inevitably, they would you know, they would call me to the mat and come back the next week and say, okay, buddy, what do you have for us this week? <laughs> what is it going to take for you to win? By the time Matt Sotal was a senior, the Lions were at least competing. Sotal made all Ivy that year, but he never won a varsity game, and the Lions coach, he still had a job to do. Larry McElreevy was the third head coach since the streak began, but he had seen tougher times than these. He'd faced combat in Vietnam and won a bronze star, so he approached this new battle with confidence. The next fall, under coach McElreevy, the Lions face Princeton. October 8, 1988. Columbia's the host. It's a wet day, the field is muddy, and at the end of the second half, Princeton has 10 points, Columbia 9. And down on campus, word is getting out that they could win this one. John Alex, Greg Abruzzisi, and Javier Loya were on the field. So I absolutely remember, um, you know, coming, coming out of the uh, uh, halftime and going back to, uh, to uh, the field for the second half and noticing there was a buzz around the crowd. And all of a sudden, the stadium was packed, and it just pumped everybody up. I know, just walking down the down the ramp into the field and going, "Wow, where, what's what, what's going on?" There's just over five minutes remaining. Columbia is down, and this is when running back Solomon Johnson takes the handoff, runs it into Princeton's end zone to give Columbia the lead, 16-13. And there, the score remains as the clock runs out. Bedlam. It was pandemonium. I mean, it was, it was people just storming the field. You know, you come to grips with it when they, they started tearing down the goalpost and, and bringing it down to uh, uh, 116th and Broadway. I don't think you'll find this anywhere in the record because the, the, the school probably won't, uh, won't admit to it, but they bought, I think, 100 pizzas and kegs for the whole school and just had a party out right in front of all the modern statue. So that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. What do you think you guys learned and took away from that experience, those four years? I've been thinking about it for 30 years. I haven't a great answer yet. <laughs> Again, John Alex. I don't know. I mean, I'm, well, half the people just gave up and said that this is enough. And the ones that stuck it out got, got our minor reward, <laughs> like I said, our 15 minutes of fame. Um, and I, that's probably... Uh, that's probably uh, stuck with us in some way, shape, or form in everybody's psyche uh, along the way. Has to. Alex says guys who played out all four years, a lot of them are now very successful. Javier Loya has an energy company and is part owner of the Houston Texans. Greg Abruzzisi, executive at an athletics company. Investment banker, Matt Sotel. A number of them are you know, career investment bankers and are in the restructuring business and deal with companies and uh, investors in distress, and I'm in that business uh, as well. Something about this experience, about losing over and over and over again, defined these men. It made them want to never lose again. Incidentally, Matthew Fox, actor on Lost, also played for that team. Didn't see him in the streak. Did you see him? No. I didn't see him. I didn't see him in the movie. I bet he was a stunner then. 
When we started looking for permission to use portions of this documentary, The Streak Ends, I was surprised to learn that the company that made the doc, NFL Films, does not own the rights. It turns out the rights are held by Columbia. The university not only owns the film, it actually commissioned the film. Now, think about it. Why would they want to do that? Why memorialize the streak on VHS, which, may I remind you, in 1988 was considered a permanent record? We don't know why, but I have a theory. Columbia did this because in 1988, decision makers inside the university really and truly believed that when Columbia beat Princeton, they broke the streak. And it's logical enough. There was dancing in the streets. For this one brief, awesome moment, the whole campus loved the Lions. This curse, it was lifted, right? It had to be. But here's the thing. The Lions did break the streak, but they never broke free of it. They didn't become the great team they wanted to be. Many years, the Lions weren't even an average team. Coaches came and went, people stopped paying attention, and the thing people on campus knew about the Lions, if they knew anything at all, it wasn't last week's score, it was the streak. That's the dragon the Lions need to slay now, with this guy holding the lance, some of the time, anyway. Skyler, nice uh, to meet you. Ilya, hey. Quarterback Skyler Mornenweg. We found him just outside the locker room after the game. He's tall and beardy, and I've been warned that he wants to go home, but it's his job now to be the face of the team. When we came in, you always want to win the game, you know, so it was a little disappointing, but we did some good things. Uh, we definitely got some stuff to work on, but uh, it, it was fun going out there and playing a little bit, so, yeah. Now remember, against Fordham, Mornenweg had to share quarterbacking with the other guy, Anders Hill. So we asked Coach Bagnoli, what was the idea of swapping Mornenweg and Hill, who is your quarterback? He said the way he wants the Lions to play, the quarterback is going to run the ball, not just throw it. That means he's going to get hit. And that means... And as a result, you know, we just think, again, it's in our best interest to have two guys that can play and be ready and, and get called upon. And I thought they both did a nice job, acquitted themselves well. And I thought that was a good first audition for them against a pretty seasoned defense. So... You know, we'll look at it. We'll continue. It's a fluid thing. We'll continue to analyze it. But uh, I thought both kids did some nice things today. Like he told us before, Coach likes conflict. Keeps things interesting. The Lions are now one game in, nine games to go, playing for a coach who's been compared to a miracle worker. These 2015 Lions, they need to pick up where the 1988 Lions left off and tap into the determination and grit those 80s players showed when so many people doubted them. Again, Columbia President Lee Bollinger. I mean, I guess I'm curious to know, um, did you ever consider ending the football program? Yes. I mean, uh, yes, uh, in the sense that I believed, and I still believe, if you cannot um, uh, raise a competitive program, a successful program in the way that I've defined it, I think it's not good for the students. I think it's not good for the institution um, to have a program. I mean, to have a program that loses, and it's and the expectation is that it will lose, is a program not worth having as part of an institution. Next week on the season, a game a lot of people think Columbia could win. Georgetown, they're playing them at home. Also, what football players can learn from the Iliad. It's the first book every Columbia freshman is required to read. Uh, 
Well, there's something to be said for glory. I don't know if I can speak so much for Homer as so much for someone like Achilles um, or any of the heroes that, that followed him. By the way, we want to know who is the coach who made a difference in your life. Send a voice memo to the season at WNYC.org. Tell us what that coach told you and how it helped you have a breakthrough. It doesn't have to be about sports. The Season is produced by Matt Collette and mixed by Casey Means. The editors are Karen Frillman, Sean Bowditch, and Charlie Herman. Jim Schachter is WNYC's Vice President for News. Special thanks this week to Marty Huberman, a filmmaker working on a documentary about Columbia football called The Streak Starts Now. Some of the music you've heard was recorded by the Columbia University Marching Band in WNYC's Jerome L. Greenspace. I'm Ilya Meritz. Thank you for listening. Thank you.